What's going on, everybody? This is Brian Ward of the Dad Up Podcast, the podcast show for dads about dads being dads. I am super excited about the guest that I have on today. But before we get to that, if you have not yet subscribed to my show, please make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode. Now, let's get on with the show. Welcome to another episode of Dad Up, everyone. Thank you guys very much for joining me. I got my good friend Jim here on the show with me, and he and I have gotten a chance to connect over the last month or two and uh, really enjoy uh, what he's doing. And I wanted to give him an opportunity to share a little bit about himself. But I'd first let me just introduce Jim. Thank you very much for being on the show, brother. I appreciate it. Brian, thanks for having me. You know, I'm all the way up here in Montana, probably a little bit envious of some of your California weather right now, but I'm living my best life here. Awesome. Well, for my listeners who may not know who you are, um, give me a little bit of backstory about Jim, uh, how you grew up, that kind of stuff, and how you've transitioned from where you were to what you're doing now. And then obviously, this is a dad podcast, so I want to hear about your family as well. Yeah. And, you know, I think our histories define us and, and allow us to be who we are as fathers and all the lessons we've learned along the way. You know, we paid some dummy tax in life. Uh, you know, early on, I grew up in Newport Beach. I was working for my grandparents. We had a restaurant on 15th Street and on Balboa Island. So I learned the fast food business at 13 years old. When I turned 16, I started working for California's famous In-N-Out Burger. Uh, my brother's been the CEO there for 35 years, just oh, recently wow. retired. Uh, his sister-in-law is the owner of the company. So it wasn't necessarily my family business, but it was an extension of my family. And I had a wonderful career there uh, that lasted into my late 20s. I was one of our most successful store managers, sold a million hamburgers in a year for the first time ever in that company history, right up there in Redondo Beach, California, off the 405 freeway. So um, wonderful career there. Decided I needed to change. Spent four years in Lake Tahoe uh, as a food and beverage director for a ski resort. And then found myself back in Orange County working for Kettle One Vodka, stationed out of Aliso Viejo. I was hired on in marketing. I became their vice president of PR marketing and events, which allowed me to travel the world and have a, just a wonderful career of uh, giving back and working with some top level executives and companies across the nation, really. Um, we got to a point where we were going to sell the company to Diageo, which is the world's largest supplier. At that time, I decided that I was going to look at other opportunities. And I had a, part, a business partner, Peter Jacobson, who's on the PGA Tour, great guy. Uh, he said he'd invest in anything that I would do. And so I started a tequila company, managed to take over Sammy Hagar's old distillery that he was making Cabo Wabo at down there in Guadalajara, and uh, started a brand called Azunia Tequila with much success from 2007. We raised $5 million through Peter Jacobson's help and his network. And uh, I stepped away in 2017 as the CEO, left my shares there and uh, became a dad. And uh, I'm on my second marriage, made a lot of mistakes in the first and God has blessed me with a wonderful wife. And now I have a six-year-old daughter and an eight-year-old daughter. And I decided that I would raise them in Montana for the values that we have up here and give them an opportunity to grow up around animals and, and have that farm life, if you will. So there's a brief synopsis of some of my history there. A lot to chew on, but uh, it, it's been a wonderful life so far. Well, that's cool. Uh, that's, I mean, you shared some stuff there that I didn't even know. Uh, very cool. Now, did, was, that, was that an industry that because of working at In-N-Out uh, that kind of 
kept you in that industry? Uh, I mean, what's the, what was the, uh, I guess, interest in staying in that sort of work? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting story. Maybe it'll resonate with the other dads out there listening is uh, when I was 28 years old, that was the year I left in and out Burger. I was making $160,000 a year, which is a great salary, especially at that age. And we're talking uh, late 20, uh, late 1990s, right? Um, and I went on uh, this beautiful trip to Mammoth. I spent $5,000 on new snowboards and all this fun, you know, just living large, right, at 28. And uh, the following weekend, I went on a missions trip with Mariner's Church there in Newport Beach, down to Ensenada. We did five orphanages and we came back home. And I just looked around and said, man, the $5,000 we spent with these orphanages are going to last those kids a month or two. I just blew that last weekend in Mammoth. Right. And I realized at that moment that, that my way of thinking and my selfishness um, was not serving me or others well. So I decided I would leave in and out move to Lake Tahoe and literally take a minimum wage job to refocus who I was and not be so selfish and be more giving back. Um, I worked at the casino for a couple months. I worked at Kirkwood Ski Resort for a couple months. And all of a sudden, Sierra Tahoe Ski Resort picked me up as a food and beverage director. And, you know, I think it was my realignment and my history that allowed the general manager of that resort, John Rice, to say yes to me and bring me on board. And uh, it felt great because my values were realigned. I learned at that age what my values were. And I've been practicing using my values as my compass ever since. So it wasn't necessarily I wanted to stay in, stay in kind of the food and beverage and alcohol business. It was a natural fit for me. But my values made the biggest change at that time. Hmm. Well, that's interesting because you have, obviously, you have an eight-year-old and a six-year-old, right? And obviously, you're showing them, to, you're kind of teaching them about giving back and, and being, being that giving person. Uh, obviously, that's important to you. Clearly, you made the decision uh, when you were fairly young to, uh, to, make, that, to make that transition. Um, how important is that that you teach those lessons to your daughters? It, it's, it's critical. You know, um, we all live by our values and they're in this order. It's God, family, health, giving back time together. And the last thing of my values is actually business and making money. So anytime we go to make a decision as a family or a business decision for me, I weigh that against my values. As I suggested, I'm in Montana now for the reasons that are important to my values raising my kids in an environment that I think is, is the best environment for them to grow up in. I could easily move back to California and be on easy street, making big money for some corporation again, but it is completely against all my values. So uh, as it relates to my kids, they understand implicitly what's important to us as a family. Hmm. And uh, growing up now, you've kind of grow, grew up kind of in Southern California, right? And, yeah. and I mean, to go from California to Montana is a huge Huge step, um, you know, with your daughters. Did, now, were your daughters born in Montana? No, nope, uh, we've been here three years now. So they okay. were both born there in Orange County, both in Mission Hospital down there <laughs> in Mission Viejo. Great people, great hospital. Um, and by the way, we were living um, a beautiful lifestyle down there. We had a place in Laguna Niguel and eventually moved um, inland to Upland to be closer to our family. So we had a nice unit. Uh, but what we learned is, you know, the cliche cement jungle. I didn't want my kids to grow up in the cement jungle. And to be honest with you, the beach cities were not the same as I grew up in, in the late seventies and eighties, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the cultures changed, 
the focus on, on money and the have and the have nots was just overwhelming for me to think about raising my kids in that environment. So um, we, we picked up and we moved uh, after they were born and, and almost established in their preschools, you know, so it's not mm. easy. But they're thrilled yeah. now that we're here. Yeah. Um, so the life that you live now in uh, Montana with you have uh, obviously a beautiful property. You're, you're living with your, obviously your wife and your, and your kids. My question though is, is that going to be a permanent place? I mean, is that something that you want your kids to kind of plant their roots at? Is that, a, is that an area that you want your kids to plant their roots? Because I know for like, for my kids, they're older now, they're both adults. Um, but, you know, my older son who was born and raised in California wants to move somewhere else. He doesn't want to stay here in California. Yeah. Um, so for your kids, you think that's something that you guys hope that they do is kind of stick around there? Well, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't imagine a day without my kids being around, you know, um, I'm fortunate as a business consultant now to pick and choose my hours. I drive them to school. I take them to the movies after school. We ride horses together every other night. Um, but you know, I, I interviewed uh, a woman by the name of Sherry Lefko the other day who talks about our limiting beliefs and who we are as parents. And one of the things that she said really resonated with me. And she said, you know, as parents, we're here to guide and give our kids the tools they need to grow up, but we don't want to put any um, inhibitions on them or expectations on them that, that they feel like they're going to let us down. So mm -hmm. to answer your question, man, I sure hope that they stick around. My six-year-old promises she, she's never going to move out. We know that's not true, but um, I don't want to put any expectations on my kid where they feel that they're confined to do what I want them to do. I want to build them up and give them the tools to flourish wherever they go. That's cool. I'm glad you said that because as parents, you know, sometimes, you know, parents think that we're supposed to, um, we're supposed to be this guide for them, which we are. Uh, but we also want to allow our kids to kind of uh, step out of their comfort zone, I guess you could say, yeah. and, and flourish on their own. I mean, for my boys, uh, I wanted to be the role model. I wanted to be the guide for them, but I also wanted to allow them to make the decisions themselves. And then I could just be that support system if they needed. Uh, and I, I, obviously that's the case for you and, and your wife with your daughters. Um, what challenges are you guys facing right now with younger kids? You have younger kids. My kids are older. They're 23 and 20. Uh, but with younger kids, what kind of challenges are you guys facing that maybe would resonate with other dads or even moms out there who have younger kids uh, being in that environment. Uh, Cause I know Montana's, you know, it's, it's cold, <laughs> right. Uh, and there's a lot of different things going on there. What, what challenges are you guys facing right now? You know, I, I think some of it has to do with their age. I'm not sure as a dad, right. When you transition from really, I don't want to say coddling our kids, but realizing, okay, they're too young to take on chores and heavy tasks. So you delay that. But when is that time that you actually start saying, okay, guys, it's time for you to help take out the trash and feed the animals. Um, so, you know, we're struggling with that a little bit. Plus we've got two girls that are, are close enough in age, but obviously one's eight. So she's capable of a lot more. Um, so we're trying to delegate small tasks to them to get them off the couch or off the TV um, I'm sure that everybody's dealing with electronics, you know, the iPhone and the connectivity. And, um, it, you know, what I found is sometimes it's easier. Let them have the phone. You know, I've got stuff to do. 
And so we struggle with trying to be in the moment with our kids and not let the phone be the babysitter, if you will. Um, and, and it's been hard. It, honestly, it, it's been probably one of our biggest struggles is uh, the electronics with the kids and just the autopilot, you know, and we got a lot to do around here. So it's not for a lack of things to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that is a big uh, challenge, not only for you guys, but forever, including myself. Uh, it's still something that we struggle with, even though my boys obviously are adults. Um, it's still something that we struggle with. We, we try to teach them, you know, how to be responsible. We're still trying to teach them um, taking care of your responsibilities that you need to take care of. And my younger son plays college basketball and he's, so he's going to school and playing basketball and there's a lot of responsibilities in that. Um, so I think it's, I think it's true. It's hard. It's a challenge for all parents when it comes to electronics. And, and I think it's only going to get more difficult as technology advances and things continue to continue to go on. Um, and when I'm thinking about technology, I think about, um, you know, the safety of it, right? Uh, you have two daughters and I know I've talked about this on my show before with other guests, um, just the, uh, the lack of, uh, security there really is because anybody can, I mean, truly anybody can get a hold of your daughters if they have an iPad or, uh, or a phone. Um, is that something that is a concern? I'm sure it's a concern, but how, how are you guys going to manage that as parents? Because I'm sure there are parents out there that are probably struggling in that area too. Yeah. You know, there's, there's some fun programs that the kids play on like Roblox where they can interact with other people on the game. Right. And we've really had a, a tight noose around who they get to play with. And when strangers show up in that game, that they are not to interact with them. Um, but, you know, it's still a concern. And as much as you check in on it, um, it, it's about limiting. And also, we've never baby talked our kids. We've always spoken to them like adults. We've always answered their questions. We've always been up front with them. So we've talked to them even at their young age, like, hey, strangers might act like they're a kid to get to know you better for their own selfish reasons, right? Um, and although they might not understand that 100%, we've already had that dialogue with them to understand where that might go, right? And so I think just good education and being honest with your kids will help. But also I think having controls in place are limiting or picking up the phone and seeing what they're doing. Yes, controls in place for sure. And I think you, you mentioned it uh, just a minute ago about um, having the constant communication or constant conversation with them. Um, I don't think it's a, it's a, I'm a true believer in this. It's not a one-time conversation. This is a conversation that's ongoing. It's never ending. Uh, and it's something that we did uh, as parents, my wife and I, with our boys is constantly talking to them about what they're doing, uh, who they're communicating with. Uh, and one of the other things that I always encourage parents is, uh, it's important for us to know who their friends are and not only their friends, but know their friends as parents, uh, because that'll tell you the quality of people that they're hanging out with. And uh, that will obviously have a direct impact on their life. Um, so it's, it's important. And I'm glad that you guys are doing that and just make sure you guys continue that conversation because you're going to have daughters here. They're going to hit that teenage years pretty quick. It's going to, it's going to come before you know it. So yeah. um, that's, that's something you guys got to be aware of for sure. Um, go ahead. You were going to say something? Yeah. You know, I heard a really interesting statistic by one of my guests last month. Uh, she's, she's in charge of uh, adolescents, teens, and giving them some formal coaching in their youth. But she said, you know, kids that spend more than three hours a day on a phone have a 30% probability of getting depression. 
And when that phone time goes up to four to five hours, it becomes 70% probability of depression. So, you know, beyond just who your kids are interacting with on their, on their programs, on their iPhones, also the amount of screen time that they have and the effects of that could result in a lot of the depression that we're seeing nationally. You know, that we have a little bit of a suicide crisis in some parts of this nation. I know Montana is one of those states. So we're really hypersensitive on it. I think it's an important topic for us as dads to talk about, be aware of, and have that kind of that circle of discussion because they're all good reminders. You know, hey, maybe I didn't do it this last month and this is a reminder to do it again and talk to our kids again. So thank you for bringing it up because it's just so important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now I want to talk to you a little bit about, I mean, you're, you've had uh, a pretty, a pretty good life as far as the business that you've been associated with and the things that you've done in your life. How are you now that you're in Montana and you're kind of this consultant, but how are you balancing that time? Cause you said that you're able to take your daughters, pick your daughters up, take them to school, that kind of stuff. But it's important that we're, you know, focusing on making money for the family, right? Obviously, that's important. How are you balancing your, that time? Because I know a lot of dads like to hear, how are other dads balancing their time? Because I find that I just don't have enough time in the day. Yeah. Well, Brian, I, I re- reverse engineered my life. You know, I had a great business coach down there, David Meltzer, talking about, you know, uh, what, what are, what's important to me. You know, we talked about my values a little bit. So I re- reverse engineered my life. How much money did I really actually need to make? to go off into retirement based on what my assets were, uh, based on what my desires are, my lifestyle, where I wanted to live, what my ideal home looked like and how I'd raise my kids. Right. And when you start working backwards, you know, it's, it's so easy, especially in Orange County, you know, you kind of get wrapped up in the materialistic side of living, you know, well, I need a house close to the beach. I need a nice car. And all of a sudden, when you start looking at retirement and you feel like, gosh, I can't retire unless I've got millions saved, you know, 10, $20 million saved, because that's what your neighbor appears to have and everyone else. The reality is when I moved to Montana, I reduced all my costs by 30%. Matter of fact, although my house is five times the size and I have 17 acres here, uh, minus the quarter acre I had in California, my, my cost of the home was $250,000 less than what it was in California, right? So I started downsizing everything so that my retirement dollars lasted longer, but my monthly um, needs were much smaller, right? So as a consultant, I said, okay, how many clients do I need to hit this monthly goal that will maintain my retirement lifestyle? Well, come to find out it's only three clients. And the Hmm. reality of that, it's probably somewhere around 20 hours of commitment per week. You know, and I'm in my 50s, so I have a lot of experience. So I bring a lot to the table for them. So it warrants the price tag that I get. But it took thought and consideration four years ago what this life would look like, build out a plan, and then work towards it, right? And now, I mean, look, dads, uh, yeah, it's nice to have some extra spending money. And, and we got five horses. So, you know, price tag on a horse continues to go up. So knowing what my needs are and where I have extra time, you know, let's just say the kids are off, you know, uh, in ballet twice a week and I've got an extra few hours. Well, I'll use those hours to grind out maybe an extra client. I just finished writing a book, which will be out later this month or in January, which would be an extra source of revenue. So there's ways that you can uptick your revenue. But when you have your foundation matched with your lifestyle, things really start to work well. And, th- and that's hopefully answers your question. That's how I've done it. 
Oh, that's very cool. That's very cool. Yeah, I've never, uh, I have heard that before. It's something that I've, I have not implemented in my own life. It's just my, my balance comes from how I schedule each and every day. I actually do, uh, you know, I actually schedule each and every day. Uh, and I actually, my, it's funny, my wife and I actually talk about our upcoming week. So that way we know the kind of things that we have taking place this next week and we can accommodate not only our own personal things that we have to take care of, but also things within the family. Now, obviously we get little glitches that get thrown in our way. Like, you know, my situation this morning with, yeah. you know, the whole bank fraud thing, I had a, I had a situation this morning, but um, those kind of things get thrown into the, in, into the mix and are sudden those you have to deal with, but finding a way to balance. And I find it through scheduling, you find it through reverse um, the reverse psychology, I guess. Yeah. But you know, also to be fair, based on what you and your wife do, I create a daily structure that starts at 5am and goes until the afternoon. Right. And if I miss something that's personal, like if I'm not up at five, cause my workouts between five and six, if I'm not up in the gym working out between five and six, well, guess what? Jim doesn't get to work out that day, right? Because then it rolls into getting the kids ready for school and driving to school. So there, there's oftentimes personal sacrifice to have that structure and prioritize what my kids mean to me. And, and you know, I, I thank you for pointing out the life that I've had because it's been wonderful and I've been very blessed. I need as a dad to constantly remind myself, it's about the kids now right? I've done my things. Let's give them the opportunity. So a lot of times I've got to get out of my mindset, like, Oh, I got to grind out one more thing, or I got to go work out and shift gears and go, you know what? I need to spend the time with my kids. And that's always more rewarding, of course. Right. Right. That's awesome. Um, I want to ask you this. If I were to ask you, um, tell me something that you learned from your own parents that you're using today as a parent. Uh, what would that be? Uh, because I find that a lot of our guidance that and how we raise our kids comes from how we were raised and it could be good or bad, right? You could have the way you were raised was not the best and you, you you're, you're not going to raise your kids that same way, or there could be some sort of value that you took from your parents that you went, yeah, I'm going to use that as a parent. Is there anything that you had uh, that you learned from your own parents that you utilize today? Yeah, I'm going to give you three things because they stand out right away. Uh, a partial uh, time of my life as a child, I lived with my mom. I, you know, two households. A lot of us know what that's like. My mom was very cuddling and loving and, hey, let's lay on the couch and watch a show together. And what I picked, what picked up from her was how to be compassionate and loving right? And I carry that through to my relationship with my wife and to my kids. Uh, on my dad's side of the family, my dad was very hardworking, uh, never had a, a, a day off. He was the guy that he was a sheriff in the day. And then, you know, on the weekends, he went and did yard work for people, built fences. And all. So my dad taught me the value of hard work and, and the results of that. So I've never been afraid to pick up a hammer or do something that needs to be done. And my kids see that. You know, we, we built this farm up here in Montana and it's a working farm. We've got 40 animals. So uh, my kids see that. So those two big things that and I love that you phrase it this way. What did I learn what not to do? Right. And one of the things that my dad and my stepmom were not great about uh, and we've had discussions about it. They feel differently now, but they always lived a life of you can't do that. Right. You can't. Uh, uh, Perfect example. I made good money when I was in high school working at In-N-Out Burger. 
and I like to shop at Nordstrom's. My friend worked there and, and really in the 80s, Nordstrom's was known for their customer service and how great their products were. I'm like, hey, I like good service and I like good products. So I shopped at Nordstrom's. My dad says, you can't shop at Nordstrom's. We don't shop there. As a family, we don't go there. I said, you know what, dad? I earn my own money and I will shop there. And just to spite him, I brought him a, a Christmas present one year from Nordstrom's. He never wore the shirt, by the way. But um, my, my dad did not live a life of more than enough. And I've taught my kids that we live a life of more than enough, that they can be anything that they want to be. And I positively reinforce them every single day on the way to school, around the house, you know, encourage them. They've made money. These kids raised $400 for the veterans a few weeks ago. Oh, you that's know? cool. So, so we're all, I do the opposite of what my parents did for me. And that is always encouraging my kids in as many aspects of life as possible. Hmm. That's great. Uh, well, congratulations to your daughters. That's awesome. I'm a yeah. veteran myself. So uh, I appreciate that. That's awesome. Um, and I think the way that you're, you're kind of uh, teaching your kids is through affirmations, right? Uh, affirmations. We talk about it as adults. We know how important that is. Uh, sometimes kids don't really understand what, how, how valuable affirmations are. Uh, yeah. But you teaching your kids that you can do anything that you set your mind to. You can do anything that you want to do in life. Uh, you can be anything that you want to be in life. Those are, those are really good affirmations to teach our kids. It's something that I did with my boys, uh, my oldest son, particularly uh, when he was very, very young, I'd say probably three. I used to tell him, um, you are, uh, oh gosh, now I'm forgetting it now that I say that. <laughs> uh, oh, I'd say, I'd say you're a leader, you're a champion. That's what I would say to him every single day. And his response would be, I'm the best in the world. That was his response. And yeah. I could, I could say that at 23 years old, I could say that to him today. And he would know the response automatically. It's because I constantly was saying that to him over and over and over again to teach him that. And now at 23 years old, he's, he's working for a corporate company. Uh, he works remote and he's making phenomenal money, just saving his money so he can move out. Um, so he's, he's really, he's really come a long way. And I think it all stems from not only how he was raised, teaching him hard work and the values of it, but also those little affirmations that we used to say to him as a young child, just to kind of instill it in his mind. So that way, when he is of adult age, he just has that, um, that right mindset, uh, to get him started and get him going. So that's cool. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this. If my listeners wanted to look you up, learn a little bit more about you, um, maybe look at, check, check you out, check out your podcast, that kind of stuff. Where's the best place to do that? How can they go about it? Yeah. You can find me at, uh, the website, live life driven.com live life driven.com. I do a biweekly, um, blog. My podcast is on there. All my shows are on there. We've got 52,000 subscribers now. Um, and then some of my business, uh, stuff is on there, but that's the best place. If you want to see some Montana ranch lifestyle, you can, Click my Instagram, which is Jim Riley, Montana. You can also find that on the website. And I talk a lot about our ranching and our kids and our values up here and uh, what we're doing. And I just, I would encourage dads to really think about the lifestyle that they've created for their kids. As you suggested, those positive affirmations. I'm such a believer in that. And, and by the way, you know, we get to talk about some of our accolades on shows like this, but it's not easy. We have little struggles every day with our kids and we're not perfect. Um, but I think at the end of the day, one thing that we do, and I, I'm rambling on now, but one thing that we do at, at the end of our day together as a family is we all say three things that we're grateful for every single day before our heads hit the pillow. And if you've never done that with your kids, especially the younger ones, 
the things that they come up with after they've gotten into the habit of doing it, the things that they come up with are so special and impactful and you realize how much they're paying attention. Um, there's no greater reward than hearing, you know, out of the mouths of your kids, the things that they see and learn every single day and that they're grateful for. Pretty cool. Mm, that's awesome. Uh, very cool. Well, listen, Jim, it has been an honor having you on, brother. I appreciate who you are, the things that you're doing, not only in the business side, but also with your podcast and, and your soon, soon to be coming out book. Um, what's the name of the book, by the way? Freedom to Say Yes. There you go. Freedom to say yes. Awesome. Um, well, I appreciate all the stuff that you're doing. And I, and I appreciate the dad that you are because those girls need a, a huge role model. And I think they found one in you. Keep doing what you're doing, brother. And I look forward to our continued friendship uh, coming up. So I appreciate you and thank you for being on. Thank you, Brian. So it's pure pleasure. Uh, dad life is a great life. I wouldn't change it for anything, but I'm glad to have additional dads in my network now. Thank you. Awesome. Well, listen, guys, this has been another episode of Dad Up. Thank you all very much for joining me. Make sure you guys are checking out Jim and all the things that he's doing. And also, if you're not subscribing yet to my show, make sure you're doing that either on the podcast or on my YouTube channel. You can find that all on, on my website. But uh, thank you again to my special guest, Jim Riley, for being on. And thank you all for listening or watching wherever you are. Stay tuned for the next episode. This is Dad Up. Thanks for listening to another episode of Dad Up. Make sure you guys subscribe to my podcast and my YouTube channel. And do me a favor, leave me a rating and a review. We'd love to hear from you to see what you think of the show. Stay tuned for more exciting episodes coming up each and every week. Thank you for listening. This is Dad Up.